You may not know Glenn Ballard, but you do know Glenn Ballard. For Glenn is a songwriter, lyricist and producer who's worked with some of the biggest names in the business, including Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, Aerosmith, Anastasia and Alanis Morissette, with whom he co-wrote Jagged Little Pill to great critical acclaim and commercial success. And did you know Jagged Little Pill celebrated this year its 25th anniversary? Still an extraordinary piece of work. His latest project sees him team up with Damien Chazelle, amongst others, for The Eddie, which centres on a jazz club in contemporary Paris. Now, not only was the Netflix series Glenn's brainchild, but he also wrote all of the songs for it with composer and pianist Randy Kerber. Now, we'll hear plenty of those shortly, but first, some news about a new podcast I'm working on in partnership with BMW. Now, where soundtracking allows me to explore my love of music and film, I am thoroughly enjoying putting together Play Next, a new weekly podcast bringing you the best of pioneering up-and-coming music artists. Now, in each show, I play you a fantastic selection of tracks in their entirety that I can't stop listening to. We focus on a different, innovative, exciting artist each week, and we also wanted to address and discuss some, well, really fascinating and important topics surrounding the music industry. So to do that for each episode, I'm joined by someone at the top of their game in the industry to help me explore a range of topics from the future festivals to the process of making music or the most exciting emerging platforms. Listen and subscribe now on all major streaming platforms with new episodes released every Wednesday. Just search for Play Next. That's Play Next, a new podcast about new music in partnership with BMW, available on all your podcast platforms now. And so to Glenn and his hugely varied career. We'll begin with his title cue from The Eddie, performed by the crack jazz ensemble he and the team put together for the show. Revolving around Dissolving you down To the essence Of secret desires That midnight inspires Music will flow Candles will glow Sweet is surrender, pulling you under the eddy.
are you, sir? Oh, good. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Are you kidding? I am absolutely loving the Eddie. What a series. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. It's so addictive. I find that you kind of, you watch it and it just, it just entertains you so much. You feel so at ease with everyone, but then you just find that there's so much more unraveling as each episode presents itself to you. It's so brilliant. Congratulations. Well, we had a lot of really talented people to make that show. And I just so grateful to all of the great talent that wanted to be involved with something as unusual as our show, you know, the whole concept of, of jazz in, in 2020. For a lot of people, jazz is something, something nostalgic almost, you know, and I thought as an opportunity to just remind people that jazz is alive, that it can be very vibrant and that it can be about looking forward and not looking back. I think that the whole, um, the story in itself about the, the creation of the show is wonderful, you know, uh, and the idea that, you know, you came up, well, tell me please about the kind of seed of this idea that you came up with quite a few years ago about this, this band and this story about these characters in, in Paris around the jazz scene. Where, where did the idea come from within you? It, it comes from my love of great musicians. I've been fortunate enough to spend most of my life, mostly in Hollywood, working with some of the greatest musicians in the world, making records, movies, TV shows, musical theater. So the inspiration comes from my brothers and sisters who can really play. People who really know, who first of all, who've dedicated an entire lifetime to learning their instrument or to learning how to sing, and then to go through the precarious journey of doing that to try to make a living from it. It's one of the hardest things you can do. So for me, this is just a love letter to the people who, who pursue jazz and who, who would do it in, in this day and age. You would have to do it because you love it, because you're not going to become famous. You probably won't make a lot of money from it. And so why would anybody do it? And so uh, I, I just wanted to offer the idea that you do it for the love of the music. You know, you, you do it because you sort of have to. And for me as a songwriter, this is... I've been doing this my entire life. I've been writing songs since I was a kid. This is all I know how to do. So for me, the idea of having a great band playing songs that I wrote is a dream come true. And that's basically my whole life is trying to find people who will play my songs, you know? So <laughs> in this case, it was like jazz has sort of fallen by the wayside in terms of the mainstream, but it, it never for me did I, it ever go away from my sensibilities, even when I'm doing a lot of pop music or whatever.
me, it's about reminding people that, first of all, when people play music together, there's something magic that can happen. The hundred songs that are on the top 100 right now, not one of those songs contains people playing music together, really playing together. It's, a, it's machines, it's computers, and I'm very fluent with the computers now, but I much prefer playing music with other human beings, you know? Physical thing, both in terms of as a player, what you feel, but also as someone who's watching. It's greater than the sum of its parts when it's right. And there's no better example of that than a, a small jazz ensemble because I, I just think a lot of young people have never actually been close to that. And for me, the idea ultimately for this show was to, to bring an audience into the circle of musicians who are making this kinds of music and to feel the energy that, that, that's involved with that and to feel the magic. So if you haven't seen a great jazz ensemble close up, it's like seeing close-up magic. It's like somebody who can do a car trip right under your nose, and you have no idea how they did that. When you see the Eddie play live, it's kind of like that, because I saw it happen. I mean, listen, I've been working on this as an idea for about over 10 years, right? Wow. I mean, listen, I started my career as a songwriter and a producer working for none other than Quincy Jones, who is himself a jazz refugee. I mean, the first song that I really had recorded by a major artist was by jazz artist, George Benson. And so I sort of got my start in a pop jazz way. And I've always wanted to find some way to use jazz in the current day and to, and to, and to not have it be something that you had to take a quiz to understand what jazz is. Do you, have you done your jazz homework? Do you know who the greats are? Mm. I mean, I know all of that, but it, none of that should matter when you're listening to new music. And so for me, this was about offering all new jazz songs, a brand new jazz band, and it's the current day. And so that was always the concept for me. Growing up in Mississippi and Louisiana, I'm, I have about half of my background is French. So I've always had this connection with France. I've been going there since I was a teenager, and I started living there off and on in, in the 90s. Paris has always been open to all forms of counterculture. <laughs> Yeah, I consider jazz to be completely counterculture now because it barely people barely know what it is. So in my years in Paris, I could always go to a jazz club, and there would always be young people in there listening to music. And I thought, okay, jazz is still alive. It's still alive in certain clubs in New York, in L.A., and in Paris, of course. And so for me, the concept was, I knew that if I wrote a bunch of new jazz songs, I would just drop them into the ocean, and they would sink like a stone. So I always knew I needed a narrative and a story to go with it. So when I started writing these songs 13 years ago, actually, it was always about a jazz club in Paris in the current day. And that's as much of a story as I had. But every song was dedicated to that sort of high concept. So all the references in the lyrics I wrote are Streets in Paris, the Guerre du Nord, where the Eurostar comes in, <laughs> which I've taken like probably 200 times from between <laughs> London and Paris. Yeah. Favorite trip, you know? So arriving in Paris at the Guerre du Nord is like magic. So that's part of the, of the subtext of the songwriting. Fire still high, feel you in my bed It's a ray that I obsess 
but this is one time I confess that I cannot get you out of my head. So supply the time that I'm referring to. Baby, you should know. Oh, we you but the clock was chiming, chiming very slow. Then you let it go. Come when you get there. I can't bother to meet you. Take a passage of their own. These songs just existed as as a concept of this band in Paris, and I I just needed great partners to bring it to life. And boy, did I get lucky on that! Damien Giselle, Jack Thorne, Alan Poole, Udo Benamina. I mean, the people who got attracted to this project got attracted to it because of the music. The music already existed. I think we wrote 60, 60 new songs. Wow! I had thirty nine of them demoed, which I gave to Jack Thorne when he first got him involved with the project and jacks sat down put on his headphones and he wrote eight episodes based on these 39 eddie songs you know Whoa. so it's a very very unusual genesis for the whole project because we started with music you know and yeah it's usually the opposite started with this concept of we wanted to show an audience real musicians playing real jazz music and not do a kind of phony you're faking it after the fact so somehow we talked everybody into doing it that way <laughs> it's brilliant because the music within the show as well it has this it has this life that it takes the, the unexpected you know path which is what i i love about jazz is you you know, you might be in a club and hear a band start to play up a song that you know, but it's never the version that you know because every version is different. That's what's wonderful about jazz. And so when you hear the music within the show, and I think it's in episode two where Elliot's, you know, he's so frustrated and he's the band are rehearsing and he's known, he's like, no, faster, no, do it for, you know, up for for whatever it is, my musical terminology is rubbish. But, you know, and so I, I love that element and the way that music has, you know, it's it's... It's more than part of the narrative. It's more than a character. It has such a specific place within the whole framework 
of this show. And, and that's obviously because music was the, the complete start of this story. It's just it's beautiful the way it just seeps out of everything. Well, I just have Jack Thorne and Damien Giselle to thank for t- accepting the, the, this whole kind of like box full of DNA songs that in some general or specific way related to the story that they wanted to tell. And I think ultimately it's a story of, it's, it's a portrait of people who are passionate about what they do. It does happen to be jazz music, but it's really about a commitment that anyone would make to, to something that you, that you do beyond some sort of monetary reason to do it. And it's really about passion. And you, if you don't have passion for this sort of thing, you would never be able to sustain the trials and tribulations, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that go into making jazz music. Because the only reward really is the music itself. You know, you're not going to get, you're not going to be held up in high esteem by the public because basically they don't know what it is. It's almost like this quixotic mission for people who still do this because you do it kind of in the shadows, you know? And so for me, the whole magic of getting close to a great group of musicians who are playing something that can touch you, like you're saying, to hear a jazz man work through a song that you even know is kind of a magical thing because you hear how they can deconstruct it and you can hear how they can go out on, on tangents and then some somehow find their way back home, you know? And that's the most fun for me is... Is, is that whole metaphoric journey of how a jazz song has a theme and that it has variations, but then you, you end up with the theme again. So that's, it's kind of like the way we try to approach the narratives. Yeah. The way Jack Thorne wrote it. I mean, all eight episodes and all the outlines, Jack has always talked about the rhythms of the show and it wanted to be more of a jazz rhythm. So he would say, this scene should play longer than you would expect, or this scene should play faster than you should expect. But he always had rhythmic uh, sort of signposts in the script and and in the narration. So... Really, I had the greatest partners possible to take something like this to, and bring it to life. I mean, Damien shot his on 16 millimeter film. So we were doing live music on set, on film. Wow. And no one in, in any of the crew had ever done anything like this because you'd never do TV this way. You know, mm-hmm. you would never do live music on television. You don't do it in movies either. You just don't do it because it's too hard, you know? Unless you're Damien Chazelle. I mean, Whiplash was like, oh! Unless we've talked, unless we've talked uh, Netflix into doing it this way, which <laughs> they, were, they were absolutely so wonderful in accommodating just the concept, you know, of like 
this is the only way we can really authentically present what a jazz band in Paris would be right now. This is the way we have to do it. And they went, you know what? You're right. Do it that way. <laughs> Amazing. What great collaborators to have on that side of things. But I mean, Damien's kind of passion for jazz as well. You know, I've been lucky enough to speak to him in the past and whether that's, you know, with something like Whiplash or, or the kind of the character that, that he wrote for for Ryan and La La Land, you know, in terms of how true and dedicated to to jazz that character was as well, and and you know, just from hearing you talk about it as well, that, that there's so, so many kind of similarities to someone who you know, he, he it's not about making money. He's not going to make money. He just wants to follow this path and be true and show his passion for this thing. Yeah, you really like that's really interesting you saying about the rhythm of the the writing as well. I hadn't really thought about that, but now that you say it, it's like, yeah, I can totally appreciate that as well in Jack's writing. That that was the whole concept of like somehow integrating the way jazz is created and made and expressed, somehow finding the visual and narrative way to do that too, to remind people that, you know, basically a jazz person making jazz as is a way of life. Their whole life is like jazz. I mean, you know, just how you get through the day and how you end up on that stage every night is a hell of a jazz journey, you know. And, <laughs> it, and especially if you're doing it in Paris and, and, and the parts of Paris that we were, which is sort of outside of the center and the ju- what we call, Damien and I always say, we're not going to show the jewel box and the jewels of Paris. We're going to go out further and show what's really happening right now, you know. and yet the idea that people still want to make music that's individualized. The other thing I wanted to remind young people is that jazz music affords you the freedom as a musician that you can't find in any other genre. However, to sit at the jazz table, you have to be ready. You have to bring something to the table. You have to be able to play. Yeah. And that's a kind of an unusual concept right now of like spending 10 years learning how to play something Mm -hmm. so well that you, that you can like scare people off. You're so good, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. And jazz players want to have that kind of power. They, they have to be able to get up and shred and sort of like show everybody what they've got. And then, then you get an opportunity to really express yourself in a way that you could never do any other way. So it's a high cost to get there. But once you attain that kind of freedom as a musician, you can't go back, you know? Where does your love of jazz come from, Glenn? Where, when did you, when was it something that you really connected with and were there particular players or, or you know, recording well, artists? It's right off the streets of New Orleans. Are you kidding? I mean, I, I grew up in Natchez, Mississippi. I spent every weekend I could get to New Orleans, in New Orleans. And of course, it's, it's the birthplace of jazz. And you can still find people playing music on almost every street corner in New Orleans who do it for the love of music and not for money. So I I learned right away that music is part of culture. It's part of life. It's part of expression. And you don't do it for money. You do Mm -hmm. it for other reasons. And so having the rich background of real jazz of like was my inspiration always, you know. And I mean, I wandered into jazz clubs when I was five or six years old. I've seen things you should not supposed to see when you're a young kid. But that's, uh, you know, New Orleans is New Orleans. And so you learn all kinds of things there as a young person, but it's very rich and it's, it's very vibrant and the music was everywhere. So I grew up with it. It's, it's, it's in my DNA. I mean, seeing second line parades and funerals is just part of my culture, you know? Yeah. I remember being a really young kid and 
and witnessing that on film in Live and Let Die. just think just kind of going wow this is amazing I want to be there you know it kind of had this even the energy that kind of came through the the screen when I was watching it as a, a really little kid sort of thing but it was like yeah the, the the kind of power and the energy of it was 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 infectious I really remember that was the I guess the first time that I experienced that seeing that kind of thing I've never been I've not been not been fortunate enough to visit New Orleans in person it's it's on my wish list when we're allowed to travel again but yeah, I'd love, I've heard so many brilliant, brilliant things about, you know, you kind of just walk into the streets and it's, you can feel it. Well, in episode three uh, of the Eddie, what we, we tried to do was connect, because uh, it's an awake after one of our characters has been killed. Mm. So we thought, okay, let's, let's make it a second line New Orleans procession that morphs into a kind of Moroccan jazz ethnic instrument kind of morph. So that's what we did in, in that scene. We start off with basically what would be a jazz funeral and, and we created this music for that. And then we go outside and we morph into what that morphs into, which is what we're calling like North African jazz. And so it, it, that's one of my favorite scenes in, in all of the episodes because we do try to connect the deep root of, of New Orleans jazz, a quintessentially American art form but we're really trying to show that it's it's grown out of New Orleans, it's grown out into the world, and people everywhere are part of this jazz movement, and everybody's entitled to to tap into that root. If you have the right spirit, you can play jazz, you know? And so we really wanted to show that jazz is alive and well, and it's certainly, it's got a huge influence from Morocco and Algeria, which those cultures are very much part of the French culture now, and we wanted in every way to show that that's a part of what is current French culture, and it's part of jazz culture. And I think that that, that really shows in the band as well that, that you have, that you've created for the show, in terms of that, you know, Paris, for, for me, has always been a, 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 a fantastic example of multiculturalism, and the first time I went to Paris and, and experienced music there, it was, it was kind of mind-blowing. It was brilliant. It was so welcoming and, and sort of inclusive. Um, was it easy to to find that your band to kind of put these musicians together. What was the, the process of that, of finding the Eddie band? Well, it, it was a deep dive. <laughs> I mean, we have two original members from the original Eddie, which is our piano player, Randy Kerber, who's one of the great musicians in the world. And I've been making music with Randy for three and a half decades. So wow. I already knew that he was like the best piano player I'd ever been around. Kiss me in the morning 
So I wrote most of the songs with Randy. He's he's the best piano player. I mean, he's played on half of the soundtracks in Hollywood that you've heard, you know, the Star Wars soundtracks, you know, Forrest Gump. Wow. Titanic. This is the guy playing the piano. That's our piano player, Randy Herbert. Wow. He's an absolute genius, the best sight reader you've ever seen. So he's our band leader, our piano player, and our original member of the Eddy, and also Ludo Louis, our trumpet player, who's also French, and who was in Lenny Kravitz's band for eight years, and we poached him, and thank you, Lenny, because we love Ludo. Those are the two original members, but the way Jack Thorne wrote the rest of the characters in the band, he had very specific ideas. He wanted a female drummer from Eastern Europe. So, okay, that, that's very specific casting, you know. So we found her, Lada Abradovic. She's so great. She's Croatian, and she's an incredible, incredible musician. But she's also, as it turns out, a really fine actress. Yeah. And none of the musicians, by the way, had ever acted. So they were picked on the basis of their musicality and also their personality. But if you couldn't play, you couldn't even audition. You know, you had to be able to do it. Because we had some people who, who, who thought that they would be able to fake their way through it. And it was like, you'll be outed in about three seconds in a jazz ensemble. If you can't play, you just can't play, you know. And it's like falling down the stairs. So. We see that. <laughs> we see you falling down the stairs. I'm sorry you can't play. So we did a deep dive. We did, and we found Lada, which was like almost impossible. Our bass player is a Cuban, a French Cuban. Our sax player is Haitian via Canada. Our singer's from Poland. She's great. Night will fall on my head again. Alcohol. Is all I let in. I'm going anywhere soon. I'll chat with that cat in the moon. I've been bruised in the game. Abused 
So it is truly, and our piano players from California. So it's the most international jazz band ever. And they're all authentically real players, and they could just play their asses off, you know. And and they became a real band. I mean, they had to play every day together, sometimes ten hours a day, on set, live music, and they became my favorite band. You know, they can really, really play, and they're dying to get out there and play right now. The whole idea for this is that they'd be out there playing music for a lot of people right now as the follow-up to our series. This is what the, this is what we're trying to show you. you know? We're all at home making quarantine videos, you know. We're making one right now, but, you know, we're dying to get out and show the world what a real jazz ensemble is. Just to remind people, yeah, here's 50 new jazz songs. Here's a great band, and you, you can meet them in our club, call the Eddie, just go to Netflix and watch it. So we're just waiting for the day when we can come out of the shadows and play again, you know? My dream is to get on Eurostar, come to Paris and watch the Eddie live at the Eddie. Oh, please make it happen. <laughs> can't wait for that to happen. And listen, before I, I let you go, I just, uh, you know, uh, you, you're, you're, I mean, we've just, we're just talking about one thing that you've done and your, your career is extraordinary. And, you know, in terms of, of what you've done and you talk about, you know, work with, with Quincy Jones and, you know, just the songs that you've worked on, whether that be writing them or producing on them, playing on them, it's just, it would take me days to, to, to kind of cite them all. And I spent, when I was kind of, you know, looking back at some of them, it was kind of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my, and that one, and that, it's, it's just, do you ever get the chance to just kind of take stock on kind of, you know, what you have achieved? And weirdly, we were with, you know, with lockdown, we're watching loads of films and I rewatched bridesmaids again recently which is just you know if i want to laugh i put that film on because it just makes me laugh immediately and the way that they use the wilson phillips song hold on which you wrote is like oh my god it's like yeah it's just one of many I, i've just been lucky I, you know i i've been doing one thing my whole life which is write songs and finding places to put them so i look back every now and then like i, I this year, looking back at uh, this record I did with Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill, became a, a musical on Broadway. And it, it was, it's a very powerful, very powerful show. And in fact, we were going great guns when the quarantine came. 
so we hope that that one will be back the minute we can open Broadway up again. But yeah, that that's something from 25 years ago that has found a new life uh, again with a bunch of super talented people who took songs that Alanis and I wrote 25 years ago and turned it into a new expression. It's a really powerful show, so I'm so proud of that one. Yeah. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother. Cause the love that she gave every day was a baby for the day. Get out for you to be open wide. No. And every time you speak her name, does she know how you told me you hope the words till you die, till you die. But I am still alive, and I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you were away. It's not. And we were lucky enough to chat with the lovely Alan Silvestri as well, who I went and hung out with at his hotel in London with his lovely wife. And oh, he was what a gorgeous man he is. And he at the time, so this is maybe a good eight, I've lost track of time with all this weird kind of, you know, being in lockdown. It feels like two days. It's been like two years. But um, he, um, he, they were just, you guys were just finishing off the Back to the Future musical. And he was so excited about this. He was so like, his, his eyes lit up whenever he would talk about it. What a great thing to be part of. Oh my God. We, well, we were in Manchester earlier this year, putting it on stage at the Manchester Opera House. And we actually started previews on February 20th. On March 11th, we opened the show. And on March 14th, we had to close. But I love the show. And I think for all of us who have worked in TV, movies, records. When you get involved with stage, with a musical theater, it's a whole other world of, of beautiful people working together. I mean, the collaboration involved with musical theater is, I think for all of us, I mean, look, we spend a lot of time sitting in front of a computer as composers. Alan does it, I do it. But when we get in a room with 25 actors on stage and 15 people in, a, in the pit, Hmm. and have an opportunity to work with them every day for for weeks. It, there's nothing like it. And when you see the result every day, you, it's like building something that becomes more beautiful every day. It was great. So I think we have an incredible show, Back to the Future, and we will be back at whatever point we're allowed to. We're going to go back. It will be on the West End. Great. Sometime next year. I'm there. Can't wait to take my boys to see it. I think they'll love it. I mean, honestly, I'm so proud of the show. I think in this time where there's so much dissension and people are all upset, this is a show we can all agree is just a fun show, you know? And I think it's a fun night or afternoon at the theater whenever we can all sit next to each other again. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please soon. Um, Glenn, it's so lovely to chat to you. Uh, I look forward to the day when maybe, you know, the Eddie's in Paris ready to play a live show. I can come and we can 
pick up and do chapter two uh, of chatting face to face about your wonderful career. That would be lovely. And I look forward to seeing you in London. Thank you, Glenn. You take care, sir. Be safe. Thank and thank you. And congratulations. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. I know this pain. Why do you lock yourself up in these chains? No one can change your life except for you. Don't ever let anyone step all over you. Just open your heart and your mind. Is it really fair to feel this way inside? As written by Glenn Ballard, that's Hold On by Wilson Phillips, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the hugely gifted songwriter, lyricist and producer and just lovely bloke. My huge thanks to Glenn for taking the time to talk to us. The Eddie is available on Netflix now and is well worth checking out, especially if you are a lover of the genre. Even if you're not, check it out. It's awesome. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my conversation with Damien Chazelle and Alan Silvestri. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do check out our YouTube channel where I put together a regular show as a companion piece to this podcast. And if you have a moment, well, I'd be delighted if you'd listen to Play Next, the other podcast that I've just launched in association with BMW. A lot to ask, but hey, if you don't ask, you don't get. Next up on Soundtracking... I cannot wait to share with you my chat with the one and only Mr. Tim Roth. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>